we want to just step back and we want to like curl up in a ball and hide and we don't want people to look. It's actually the opposite of that is what we need to do. And something that we're taught in DBT, there's a skill called opposite action. And when you're wanting to hide, you're wanting to avoid what you're supposed to do right away is actually just practice the opposite. What happens is when we avoid, we tend to think about it and ruminate and stretch it out and like allow it to go on forever. And the more that we let it go on, the more that we overthink it, the more that it turns into something so much bigger than it really is. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and I hope you're all having a wonderful Wednesday or whatever day you're listening to this on. Uh, On the day of this actual release, it's nearly the last of May, which is so crazy. Time is flying by, and I just wanted to thank you all so much for another month of listening and supporting the show. I'm just excited to keep growing alongside you all and evolving and seeing where things go. I mean, it's neat to see how this podcast continues to grow and how, but like beyond that, how my connection and relationship to you guys continues to grow. More and more of you are finding, you know, me or the guests on Instagram and reaching out, and it's just so beautiful for both me and the guest to connect with you and, you know, hear your thoughts on the episode, so we we appreciate it. And, you know, speaking of guests and everything, today's guest is actually someone I wouldn't have usually connected with, per se. We don't run in the same health wellness circle, uh, so to speak, yet we connected via email and I'm so glad we did. I think you guys will really get a lot of this episode because it's a bit different than the usual ones. So Kate Krakow is a licensed psychotherapist and mindset plus confidence coach for female leaders as well as a lovely human being with a very big heart. We had so much to discuss in this episode and I just can't wait for you to hear it and hopefully evolve a bit from it. Uh, We're all about that expansion, expansive mindset around here. But before we really go into what the episode is all about, I did want to hit on uh, an important point that we discuss. And it's this idea of noticing the way we speak and how that represents us. So this is something I've had to think a lot about being in the podcast space because at first it was just talking into a mic. And now it's more of an art form of how can I craft this interview? How can I really craft my persona through the way I speak and really getting that mindful message across? So as Kate and I discuss in this episode, it's about having authority and being assertive when it comes to asking for what we want or delivering our message. So, you know, we really get onto this topic of speech and it's the idea that We as women can downplay ourselves so simply just by the language we use. We use fluff words and add-ins, you know, such as, would you mind, if it's okay, my apologies, not to be a bother, I was simply wondering, 
or, you know, something more blatant like, oh, it's just a side hobby. And sure, there are times when these phrases are just our way of being a kind, loving human, but there are other times where we use this language because we feel less than, or you feel that we don't compare, or that we're not good enough, or we feel as though we're being a nuisance, or that we just simply don't deserve the time, the attention, or the reply in general. So I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong or do this and not that, I'm just saying let's be a bit more mindful, perhaps, of the way we speak to not only ourselves but others as well. So the words we speak aloud and the words we speak in our mind shape the reality around us, whether we realize it or not. It's this internal and external dialogue that we should try to just be a bit more intentional, mindful, and aware of. And so I just really wanted to touch on that because it's something I constantly am working on and I'm just really hoping to open the conversation, you know, a bit more to it. So hopefully that resonates with you. Uh, but besides all of that, Kate and I just really dive into understanding the why and how the mind works behind the scenes as a woman. So she shares her experience with DBT, which is a form of therapy. And, you know, she first was using it to really treat others, but in this time realized that she had a lot of healing to do from you know past eating disorder trauma her own relationship mood swings you know the list goes on and so as we're talking about dbt her experience in that healing journey we chat about this idea of opposite action so when something scares us go towards it instead of away it's a very powerful yet intimidating thing to do so when we avoid something we begin to ruminate on it and we let the worry and the struggle of it drag out, and the end result becomes a lot more dramatic than it you know, really needs to be. So for an example, the phone call we keep avoiding, or the tough conversation, the elephant in the room, it stretches out, you know, just think of like a long piece of taffy, or I don't know, like you just keep stretching, 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 until eventually you reach a snapping point. And that's when you freak out on your boss or you yell at your you know significant other or you make the phone call and you're all irritable and you end up hanging up you know it's just that when you stretch it out too long that you reach the snapping point the end result does no longer go as we initially planned or as good as it could have been so you guys have heard me say it before but let's it's like this idea of face the fears don't let fear hold you back and we then discuss, you know, how to move forward even if you do feel the fear or you don't feel as ready as you thought you'd be or you don't feel as though you're enough because in the end, like, there is no time like the present. I assure you of that. Uh, so then Kate also shares her insight on setting boundaries and determining when to say yes or no, which is another, you know, aspect of speech and empowerment, uh, something that we as women especially feel. So it just goes into that idea of, you know, analyzing what we really want versus what we think will please others. So raise your hand if you're a people pleaser out there because this topic is for you. <laughs> uh, giving ourselves time to be silent, you know, with ourselves and ask, what do I actually want? And what do I want if no one else cares? Like if everyone else accepted what it is I want, what would that be? That's a powerful question or two questions, however you want to split it, to ask yourself. And honestly, I did this practice in my own journal and it was a little bit scary, but so empowering. Like it's 
scary sometimes, I think, to imagine just, like, to let our full imagination, but not even really imagination, like, it's something that could become real. So, like, letting yourself fully imagine what you want in life and what you want to do if you didn't let any societal pressure or people-pleasing hold you back. That can be scary, but once you do it, it's so empowering, and I think it's just crucial and critical if you want to evolve and grow, you know, as a human, in business, whatever it is. Um, And, you know, going back to that main idea of setting boundaries and determining when to say yes or no or what to do, it's just once more practicing to be assertive with what we want, you know, every day and then set those boundaries for it. Uh, So yeah, overall, like it's just Kate and I discuss building confidence in the way we speak and learning to be a bit more assertive with what we want, learning to be with ourselves and wait and really think about ourselves before just always making decisions. Uh, So yeah, just overall, like a powerhouse episode. It was so funny because going into it, I didn't know what I really wanted the conversation to be about. Kate discusses so many different topics in her work and especially in her, you know, new book that she had released just when we recorded, which is Thinking Like a Boss. So good. Uh, I didn't know like what I wanted to cover because there's so many topics that she's eloquent on and so we just started talking and I think it just flowed in the most natural and needed way like I think this is a message we could all use right now so I'm just beyond happy to be delivering this to you now and so thankful for Kate and her work and coming on here and as I mentioned, she does has her does have her book. It's available online. I'll link it below. Thinking like a boss. I read it, loved it, just found it to be very simple and action forward, which I appreciate in a book. I need something that's not, you know, doesn't have a bunch of fluff words and like it takes you forever to get a message from like an entire chapter. Hers is just very straightforward and I love it. So you can connect with Kate, learn more about her work, what she's up to on her Instagram at Kate Kroko. She also has a beautiful website and, uh, you know, an amazing email team. So just shoot them an email if you have a question. And if you like the episode, like tag us on your stories, let us know what resonated. You know, we love that. I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. And as always, if you'd like to support the show, I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, or if you have the time, leave a rate and review. I promise it takes like two minutes. It means so much and just helps in more ways than you can imagine. So thank you. Thank you as always for listening. And without further ado, here's Kate. Would you mind just, you know, introducing yourself, giving us an idea of what it is you do in this line of work you're in and we'll just get started from there. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Kate Krakow. I'm a confidence and mindset coach for female entrepreneurs. I'm also a psychotherapist and I really zone in and work with women on the lies and sort of fears that we tell ourselves and the things that really hold us back in business and hold us back in life. So feeling at times like we're not enough or we're not qualified or we're too old to get started or too young to get started or you know we need to have a certain amount of money in order to get the business off the ground and really just work with them through those lies and help them replace them with truth through different exercises and a lot of the work that I do with my coaching clients is um, sort of foundational from the work that I did as a psychotherapist. And I was trained in something called dialectical behavior therapy. 
And what that is, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with it at all? This is hilarious. I've never heard of that. But this morning, I listened to a random podcast. Yeah. Just a random episode from this random podcast that I oftentimes don't listen to too much. And they were talking about that. It came up in conversation randomly. And I remember I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. I need to learn more. So I'm laughing right now that you're bringing Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's perfect. How crazy. Timing, yes. Yeah. So, and it's actually funny because, so dialectical behavior therapy is a skills-based therapy, sort of like cognitive behavior therapy. And it was developed back in the 1980s by a woman named Marsha Linehan. And Marsha eventually came out in probably like the 2000s and said, hey, I just want to let everyone know that the reason why I developed this type of therapy was because I was struggling myself. And in the therapy world, as like an expert, you're not really supposed to share about your struggles. You're supposed to just be this um, like strong leader who, you know, has this perfect life and has it all together. And it was just so refreshing to see someone who has all of this respect and has made it so far in the therapy world, be able to say like, Hey, I struggled. And dialectical behavior therapy was originally created for women with borderline personality disorder. And it's a a personality disorder. This is a specific one that really looks at things as black or white, um, either like I love you or I hate you. Um, it's a, it's something that's a little bit harder to treat because it's not something that can just like be treated with medication, but this therapy that she developed was something that was super, super effective and it was working and it was working so well with women with borderline personality disorder that they started to use it with people with eating disorders and then people with addictions. And then they realized how widely they could really use it. Um, And the cool thing was I just recently found out somebody sent me this message and said, I found your new book on Audible after I was searching books or I stumbled upon Marsha Linehan's like tell-all book that she just wrote. She wrote this memoir. So it literally like just came out. I just ordered a copy. I have it at home. I can't wait to read it because she shares her whole story. And I just think that you know, that's so inspirational for me because when I first became a therapist, I really struggled with the lie that I need to have it all together. And like, I can't share with people that I'm struggling or my life is a complete mess. And when I went to graduate school, I was probably about 21, 22 at the time. I I realized that I had an eating disorder and my whole life, I knew that something was wrong, but I really didn't know what it was. And I figured it out when I was at school to be a therapist. And I was able to find healing very fast. I had a psychiatrist, a social worker, a psychologist, a nutritionist, and I was ready. I was like, I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I just want to heal. I want to live a life of freedom. And I just did everything that I could, like everything they told me to do, everything that they suggested I did. And really within a year, I was feeling like a completely different person. And I knew I actually had said this prayer, which was a really like back then I probably didn't really mean it. It was like a half hearted kind of prayer, like God, if you can please 
heal me from this eating disorder. Like I will share this story someday so that it helps other people. And, you know, I didn't really believe that I would do that at the time because I had no confidence and I never thought I would be able to share this story. But in time, I realized like, I don't just want to be a therapist. I want to be a therapist and also be one who is really um, transparent with their clients and can show that you can still be a strong person and struggle. Um, So that's really my story. And in time, eventually I got to this, into this world of coaching, which I do today as well. Well, yeah. And we'll dive into that, but I am curious because it's so interesting. What's it, what's it called again? The type of Dialectic, therapy? Dialectical behavior therapy. Just call, you can just call it DBT. DBT. Okay. Yeah. It's I'm going to stick with the acronym um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, this show, a large portion of it is health, wellness, and a topic that comes up time and time again is eating disorders or, you know, control, controlling perfectionism, all this, all these things that in my mind come down to a sort of black and white thinking of a all or nothing mentality, black or white, you know, restrict or binge. There's just no, we have a struggle getting to that in between or the gray area. So that DBT therapy is actually, I mean, it sounds amazing. And yeah, I just, so is that part of your practice then? Is that something you practice with your patients or? So when I did strictly just therapy, I practice it with my clients. Um, And then when I decided to sort of move into this coaching, so what happened was I opened my private practice around the age of, I think I was around 28 or 29 years old. And something that we were always sort of taught in social work school was that you go, you sort of pay your dues by working in mental health clinics, working in non-for-profit hospitals, like very low-paying, stressful jobs for years. And then once you're ready to retire, then that's when you open your private practice, like once you have all this experience. And I remember just like being in my 20s, like early 20s and then mid-20s and just feeling like, this sucks. Like I'm already burned out. Like I love working with people and helping them, but like all of the other stuff that comes along with it is just so draining. And like, I don't want to live this way. Like I'm miserable all the time. I come home from work and I like just want to go to bed. And I had a couple little things that started to put me into that direction of like thinking a little bit bigger. Like, well, they say that I can't start this practice till I'm probably retired, but like maybe I could. Like, what if I just started doing some research? And that's what I did. I just started to Google and listen to some podcasts and find different blog posts where people talk about private practice and um, eventually just decided to open it. And what happened was I had a lot of other younger therapists who were in their 20s who were reaching out and saying like, how did you do this so young? I want to do this too. Like I want to feel fulfilled in my work. And I started to do some consulting and helping them open their practices. And then I had other local business owners coming to me and just saying like, how do you deal with the struggles of a business? Like the ups and downs, um, again, like those fears, the things that you tell yourself and started helping them. And then that's what led into doing the coaching, the mindset and confidence coaching. Um, so really what I do with my coaching clients is, um, foundational from the DBT, but I don't, I can't 
specifically specifically practice DBT just because it's um it's like a it's liability. Just, exactly, exactly. So I use a lot of like the skills and the tools that I've learned and just sort of adapt them into my coaching practice. It sounds as though in the beginning you and you share more about this on your blog too that I was reading about in the beginning of starting your practice because you had those people telling you all those things of what you can't do you went into it with maybe not as much confidence as you needed to really have it flourish and so i'm curious i'm real big lately i just did a podcast like a week ago and the woman and i were discussing confidence and how we really need to reframe our idea of it where so many of us tie our confidence to material goods money status our physical body and her mission and something I'm really trying to embrace more of is correlating confidence to more of what's inside, like how we feel, how we act, like our personality. So what would be some of your tips and what did you do to build that confidence, you know, when you didn't, not, not based on a physical body or money or status or anything, because you really grew your practice, it sounds, by finding that internal confidence, almost like a mindset shift with it. So how did you do that? Like, how do you advise others to try? Yeah, I love that question because I think that when we're not feeling confidence, we're not feeling confident, our number one thing that we sort of lean on, like we want to just step back and we want to like curl up in a ball and hide and we don't want people to look. And it's actually the opposite of that is what we need to do. And something that we're taught in DBT, there's a skill called opposite action. And when you're wanting to hide, you're wanting to avoid what you're supposed to do right away is actually just practice the opposite. So if you are not feeling confident about a conversation that you need to have with someone, maybe it's like setting a boundary to speak up for yourself. What happens is when we avoid we tend to think about it and ruminate and stretch it out and like allow it to go on forever. And the more that we let it go on, the more that we overthink it, the more that it turns into something so much bigger than it really is. And when we eventually have that conversation, the outcome typically ends up, the longer that we wait, the worse that the outcome is because again, we've made it out to be this huge thing in our mind. We've built our anxiety up into something even bigger than it really should be. So with opposite action, like when you're not feeling confident, when you're feeling like you want to hide, just go and do the thing right away. Like before you can even think about it, which is hard because it's, it's a muscle that you really have to build and it's something that you have to practice. And I always say that Confidence is not something you're born with. It's not something that, you know, you can just achieve. It's something that's built through consistency. So it's doing these scary action steps over and over and over again. And eventually you're sort of desensitized to that fear and you don't really feel it as much anymore. Um, so, you know, everything that I do in my business today most of these things all scared me before. So again, with opposite action, when you're feeling like I'm going to, I want to avoid that conversation, just go and have it because the outcome will actually end up being better. Cause again, you're not building it up into this big thing. Um, you're doing it right away. And 
you're going to save yourself so much heartache and so much brain space because often like we go weeks and months without um, a, just sort of stepping into these things. We just avoid, we just sort of avoid because we're afraid of the outcome, but the outcome's always the same. So when you're feeling that way, just jump into it. Just yeah. go and have the conversation or do the thing. Yeah. And I was thinking as you were speaking about some, you know, examples for anyone to relate to any aspect of their life. You know, if you're at work and something's agitating you all week and you just don't say it, don't say it. You just, you know, let the people say the comment, do the thing, whatever. What happens the end of the week when suddenly you, you know, blow up and you (laughs) say something a little too loudly to your boss or your loved one, or, you know, with food and eating disorders, as we mentioned before, you're thinking about food, you want food, you restrict, you don't let yourself have it. Next thing you know, you have a binge or there's just so many aspects of life where that is true. It's like, whether that's with confidence or work or food or, you know, how you handle yourself, if you don't like face the fear and do it anyway, which is something a friend of mine always reminds me of (laughs) when I'm having doubts, it's, you know, something's going to happen at one point or another. And you want to almost try to get to that before it blows up in your face in a not so great way. So I love that, you know, act and process of just when you feel it come up, do your best to just go at it, accomplish it, do whatever you can to diffuse the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so what made you realize that you were holding on to these like old lies, habits, thought patterns of, you know, not being good enough or not being enough to run your own practice. Was there like an aha moment for you where you realize something's got to change? Otherwise my practice is going to run into the ground. Yeah. So I think it was because early on it wasn't growing very fast and I was realizing that I was sort of hiding and not talking about my business. And I realized, wow, like if I actually want this to turn into a business and not a hobby, I'm going to need to just put myself out there. And it feels really scary. It feels uncomfortable, but I'm going to have to do it. And I'm going to have to do it afraid. Like you said before, like just be brave and just do it rather than planning it out and overthinking. Cause I think so many of us get stuck in that stage of just like overthinking and planning and getting all the ducks in a row. Um, and it just doesn't work when we do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And something that I'm working through as an, uh, recovering perfectionist <laughs> control freak, you know, in my mind of just being able to almost be like present in the here and now and just be content with what I have and what I can Mm -hmm. offer and what I can do right now instead of projecting into the future or reminiscing on the past and just really build like my own building blocks for how to move forward and what to do next, what I want to get out of this situation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, something that I wanted to talk about because it's, you know, mentioned in your book and your work especially is that Once we do start embracing, you know, our fears and building our confidence and doing all these things, oftentimes it opens the door to new possibilities. And with those new possibilities, opportunities, uh, sometimes we have to start to learn how to set boundaries and choose when to say yes to something and when to say no, when to really honor our energy, our time, everything about that. So what are some of your guidelines to setting boundaries or really understanding 
you know, when to say yes and when to say no, when these opportunities do arise. Mm, I love that question. I think that the first step is really figuring out what you actually want. Cause I think that we go into making decisions based off of what other people want for us. So, you know, I remember like when I went to college I thought that the right thing to go to school for would be elementary education because my mom was a teacher and my family said, you know, like that's a great um, career to get into because you get the summers off and you work 180 days a year. So I, especially, you know, when I had that eating disorder and I was a people pleaser and perfectionist, like I did what everyone else wanted me to do. And I really had no idea what Kate wanted. And it took me a long time to, like before I could actually go and set those boundaries, I needed to first figure out what I wanted. And I think the best way to do that is to try to just get quiet and to step away and to like take some time for journaling. And I think in the world that we live in now, it's really hard because we like to fill our mind with and fill our space and our time with social media and we sort of avoid thinking because it's hard to think and sometimes it's uncomfortable. So we never get in our own head. And I think it's so important that we do, that we take space to journal or to take a walk and just be in our own thoughts and like not even have like a podcast on at times or music on at times, but just that silence. And ask yourself that question of if, like what is it that I actually want And if no one else cared, if everyone accepted what this thing is that I want, what I like, what is it that that would be? And for me back then, it was, you know what? I think I want to be a therapist. I think I want to um, really help people in a different type of way. It's like similar to being a teacher because you're helping and you're sort of teaching. Um, But I really didn't want to be a teacher. So I think first figure out what you want. And then once you know what you want, then start practicing being brave every single day and start finding little opportunities to be assertive and to say what it is that you want. And it could be something as simple as like you're hanging out with your friends and you're like, okay, let's order takeout. And they ask you, what do you want? And you're like, oh, I don't care. Like I'll eat whatever. But you learning to be assertive and like just take that step of, hey, actually, I would like this or I'd like these two choices. So like, what would you want out of that? Or even something as simple as like going into a gas station and saying like, hey, can I have four quarters for a dollar without buying anything at all? And I think for so many of us, it's really hard. Like we just let... um Like we'd rather just be quiet or hide and not say what it is that we want. So start there just by practicing being assertive every single day. And then once you can do that, you can start to set those boundaries a little bit more. What what this is reminding me of is something I've been working on lately, which is building confidence in the way I speak. So this woman I was following, she talked about how oftentimes we qualify our speech, our language. So it's, you know, instead of being assertive and saying, this is what I'm asking you, this is what I want, this is what I need, we oftentimes fill it with the filler words of, if you wouldn't mind, if it's not too much of a problem, and 
I started to look at my emails yes. <laughs> and see how much of a fundamental people pleaser I am, how much I qualify and add on all this fluff because I'm so afraid to ask for what I need, what I want. And, you know, I'm not asking for much, but if I need a picture for the cover art of the podcast, yes. I need to quit fluffing it up and just say, I need a picture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that, like whole idea of qualify, oh, you know, over, over fluffing our language to hide that assertive nature. Yeah. So I think it's so important that we can just say no without explaining ourselves. Cause I think that's something else that we do. Like someone asks like, Hey, you want to hang out? And we're like, Oh, I'm really sorry. Like maybe you just don't want to hang out with them. Hey, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not feeling well. And that was something that I always used in college, especially I would just say like, I'm not feeling well, but it really, what it really meant was like, I'm depressed and I just want to sleep. And I would make up these excuses rather than just saying like, Hey, no, I actually just don't want to hang out. Like I just want to be alone. And I think it's so important that we just start just stopping those, putting those excuses or those like the fluff language, like you said, and to just start saying like, no, thank you. Or, hey, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And I think sometimes, like, we think we also have to, like, give people answers right away. Like, someone asks, hey, can you drive me here or there? We, like, next week, we think, oh, we have to let them know immediately. But you can say, hey, let me get back to you. Like, I need to check my schedule. I need to see if this works for me. And when you can say that, it usually gives the other person a hint that they may need to ask a couple other people because you're not going to immediately say yes. And then you can really begin to think like, do I want to say yes? Do I not want to say yes? And it come more from a place of empowerment rather than a place of pressure. Like you have to say yes to this person. I've actually quit giving automatic responses because yes. I'm such a people pleaser that I will say yes to everything, actually everything. And later I'll want to kick myself. You know, why yes. did I agree to that? I'm overbooked. And it got to the point where I realized I'm not only doing myself a disservice by always saying yes to these things I can't always do. I'm letting so many people down because I can't keep up my side of the bargain. I can't meet up with them. And I just got so sick of it because I was hurting myself and I was hurting others. So now I, I ride the emotional roller coaster of I get the question, the idea, whatever it is, and I, I give myself, whether it's a couple hours, if it is kind of urgent uh, response, or if I can, I give myself a couple days because one moment I'm all for it. The next moment I'm seeing the cons you know, side of it, kind of like a pro and con list. And then eventually I'll just get the feeling of, okay, yeah, like I'm ready to commit. I'm ready to make my decision. And that's been huge for me, whether it's, you know, with the podcast, uh, my work, personal life, everything, just even with buying things, you know, just mm. not following that like trigger impulse of automatic yes, automatic, you know, click buy, whatever it is. I love that. And I think that often we're afraid of letting people down and that's why we say yes right away. But what I like to tell my clients is that if it's an opportunity, so someone reaches out to you and was like, hey, I really want to collaborate with you. Like, I love what you're doing. I want to do X, Y, and Z together. And you just don't have time to say yes. Um, 
when you can say no, that opens up an opportunity for someone else who has the time to say yes, who really wants to do the thing. So just remember that saying no actually opens up opportunity for someone else who really wants the thing that you're saying no to. Yes. And giving an answer, even if it is no, is better than nothing at all, because there is no worse feeling than reaching out to someone, you know, for a question, idea, collaboration, and weeks, months go by, you know, and it's just kind of an empty feeling of what could have been. But if like when I've asked people on the podcast, if they just give me a no, and usually they naturally explain that, you know, this is the reason why they can't come on at the moment. And, you know, whether that's a hundred percent true or not, either way, it's a peace of mind. You know, at least I got an answer. At least they're being honest with me and saying, you know, thank you for considering me, but I can't do it right now. So I agree. I mean, any answer is better than none. And saying no, isn't always bad. Like it sometimes leads people to the path they were actually meant to go down. So Mm. agree on that. And, you know, I'm curious with your book that you wrote, like, when did that whole idea come into the picture of, you know, I want to write a book. Did someone reach out to you first? Uh, How did you decide that? Yes, this is something I want to do. This is something I have the time and energy to commit to. So when I was in kindergarten, we had this um, program where we had eighth grade buddies and they would do like little projects with us. And I remember my eighth grade buddy, we wrote this little book about penguins. And this was like back in the, I don't know, 19, like early 1990s or maybe even late 1980s. So a long time ago. And the, the way that we did the book, it was like, like make it out of cardboard and like you sew up the paper and, um, you take like rubber cement and you put it on there and then you wrap it in contact paper, like all these things that like people don't use anymore. Like kids are so lucky these days with the beautiful things they get to make at school. Um, but I remember just like the whole art of that, like writing the words and illustrating it and thinking like, I want to write a book. Like I really want to write a real book. So the dream started when I was a little girl. And I always like to tell people, if you're feeling lost right now, if you're not sure like what direction to go in, like go back to like when you were a very, very little child before society, before the world started telling you that you can't do the things that you wanted to do. And like, what did you love? Was it dancing? Was it singing? Was it painting? Was it building things? And go back to those different desires that you had and see how you can incorporate that in your life. Because most likely, like those are the innate gifts that you were born with. And then life happens and people start saying like, oh, you're a girl, you can't do that. Or you're not tall enough, so you can't do that. Or you're too big, so you can't do that. Um, So again, like before anyone told me I couldn't, I thought that I could be a real author. And then I went throughout life, like wanting to write and really loving writing, but, you know, not doing so well in school. Um, And yeah, like, I think I, I did horrible in in high school in English class. And then the same thing, I got to college and I was like, I really want to write. And then I had an English minor or literature minor and I failed and I never was able to get it. So I really was like, I don't think that I can be a writer because I'm not good at it. And then again, I started to build my confidence up and it was around the time that my first daughter was born. 
um, I was going through a really difficult time. Motherhood was a lot different than I expected. And I felt very isolated and alone and sort of like bored and stifled. And I just started to write on my phone about what I was experiencing. And this opportunity came to me where this person that I was following sent this mass email out to their list and said, hey, I have on my heart this idea to take a group of women in and teach them how to write a book proposal. She had already published a book before. Um, and I thought like, this is the worst timing possible because I don't have time to write a book. Like I have an infant home with me. She doesn't take a bottle. She doesn't go to daycare. I can barely keep up in my business, but I felt like I had to do it. Like if I didn't do it, I would regret it. So I did it, learned how to write the book proposal, write, wrote the book proposal, started to pitch it to literary agents. Cause like, that's the next step when you want to publish a book traditionally and not self-publish, um, had a lot of no's and, um, decided like, let me just ask these people, like what it is about the book that is not appealing to them, like why they're saying no. And I think like, I'm really proud of myself for being able to ask that question. Cause I think it's hard for people to say like, Hey, yeah, you didn't choose me, but like, why? Like, tell me what's wrong with me or what's wrong with this idea. And it was really helpful. And like a lot of them said, like, you need to first build your platform. Like you don't have enough followers. Um, or the book that you're wanting to write is really a saturated market. Like it's not needed right now. And like some of these were hard to hear, but they were actually really helpful. Um, so then I went and I sort of tweaked it a little bit based off of um, their suggestions. And I started to like find ways to build my Instagram a little bit more, to build my email list a little bit more. And then a few months later, I started to pitch again. And I, at that point, ended up finding out I was pregnant with our second baby. My first baby was only nine months old. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be hard, but I really felt this desire to get this book into the world. And I really believed, like I had this thought on my heart that I could do it. Like I could sign a literary agent. I could have the literary agent sell the book to a publisher before this be this next baby is going to arrive. And I remember telling family and friends and they were like, that's a great goal to have. And like, it sounds like it's going to be really hard. Like you have a lot going on, you're pregnant. Um, but again, I listened to that still small voice and just kept taking all those action steps and like working through the nose. And eventually within a few months, I signed a literary agent. And then three months later, I had three different book offers from publishers. And it's really funny because two, no, one month before our baby, the next baby was born, I signed the contract. And then the day after the baby was born, like the first book advance, the check came in the mail to my house, which was like such a beautiful thing. It was like, I birthed this other baby and I was going to birth this book. So like, if you have this you know, longing and desire and this dream on your heart, like don't let, again, don't let other people tell you like it sounds impossible 
or it sounds like out of reach because if you really believe you can do it and you take those steps, like you can make it happen. I agree so much. And I mean, that's so inspiring. Just remembering that it's like, you've got to quit at some point. You have to quit making the excuses if you want something bad enough, because I mean, there'll never be a good time. There'll never be, you know, enough money, etc. You'll always have something, some excuse pop up if you, you know, don't just go into it. And I agree with the idea of going back to our roots. And there's a lot, I mean, I'm sure people have seen online, there's so much talk about this inner child work and reconnecting to that side of ourselves. And I was similar to you where growing up, I remember saying flat out, I don't want to have a boss. I want to work for myself. And immediately, you know, people are like, no, 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 no. You're going to college. You're getting a job. And, you know, then my job, I wanted to be an author. I remember we had to do a job exploration activity and I was doing mine on an author and anything in writing, you know, and my teacher just flat out said, like, you'll never make a living like that. And just, you know, as you were speaking, I was remembering all these moments where people just really shot down my dreams. Um, and it's so funny because I've really reconnected to that side of myself without realizing, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I dropped out of college because I just knew that wasn't the path for me. And I started embracing my, uh, desire to write by writing, but also by doing this podcast because it's, I call it holistic storytelling. You know, it's my way of sharing the stories of others. So it's so true that, and, and I feel so content, you know, I still have days where you know, shit hits the fan. You just not feel it. But for the most part, I'm very content with like the path I've chosen. And it's so, you know, neat to see that when we can connect to those old roots again, like who we are fundamentally as a child, because that's when we're our purest self, things kind of start to fall into place, you know, not all the time, but I'd say for the majority. So it's only fitting then that you have your book. And, you know, I am curious if you could give like just the audience an idea of what it's really about, you know, your why behind it, why you really wanted to birth this book into the world and just get it out there into the hands of others. Yeah. So the book is called Thinking Like a Boss, Uncover and Overcome the Lies Holding You Back from Success. And there are 12 chapters and 12 different lies. Um, And these are the most common lies that the women I've worked with have experienced. And I mean, there are hundreds and thousands of lies we tell ourselves, but these are like the sort of the core ones. And each one of these lies are lies I've also experienced. So I decided again, like I learned so much from storytelling and from hearing other people's experiences and stories. And then it's great when I can also have a little bit of like a tangible step or exercise to like help myself get out of that. So I decided every chapter, I want to talk about my experience, personal experience with a lie, also talk a little bit about other people's experience with experiences with a lie, and then give people tangible steps and exercises to help overcome them. And I think that another reason why I wanted to write this book was that what I realized is a lot of the work that I do with my clients, it's nothing like profound. Like it's nothing that people can't do on their own. Like it's great to have accountability and to have someone coaching you to sort of call you out and hold up a mirror for you. But for the people who maybe aren't ready to invest in a coach or aren't in the place where they just can't, yeah, they can't financially do it. 
like you can get started or maybe they're just not ready mentally yet. Like, I don't think I have the time to work with someone or work with a therapist. These exercises are things that you can teach yourself and you can find huge, huge results. If you just take each exercise from each chapter and you apply them to your life and you work on them little by little. And I think that the really important thing with this is practice and accountability, like doing things over and over and over again to build that mastery and that confidence. So what I'm actually doing is I, over Christmas, I had five weeks, I wrote a workbook companion for this book that's going to come out in the fall. And it's almost like a 12 week, it's almost like a course um, to help keep people accountable and help them really live out the chapters from this book um, with like even deeper exercises and space for journaling. Um, So I'm just really excited about that too, because the book is such a great place to start, but then the workbook is the thing to like keep you accountable and keep you going. I love that. And I think it is important that, I mean, we have so much access to, you know, whether it's personal development, personal growth, education, experience, there's so much we have at our fingertips nowadays, but what's lacking is sometimes, you know, that accountability. And if, if you can't get a coach or, you know, someone to help you through that right now, self-accountability is important. And I love that idea of having a workbook you can go through. And, you know, for me, something I wanted to work on this time in my life was really deepening like a meditation practice because Mm. it's so important for my anxiety and just helping me be a better productive self when it comes to work. And I, I couldn't do it. So I found a course that was, you know, a lot of people loved it, raving reviews, but you know, that side of me was like, I can't pay for that. And then I realized I needed to pay for it because that's how I'll hold myself accountable because my money's stingy. So if I'm paying for something, you know, you best believe I'm going to follow it through. And I have been. So it's like, whether you find a workbook, you know, accountability and you're paying for something or tell someone, you know, if you have a family member or close friend say, Hey, can you check in with me and, you know, make sure I'm following through with what I'm supposed to be doing with this. So I love that, that you uh, put that together, like just as a mini course for people. Thank you. And so the book is available. I take it on Amazon, all major platforms. Yeah. Target. For some reason we're having, and by the time this podcast comes out, it will probably be resolved. But right now the bookstores have not received their books yet. So (laughs) it's only available online as we speak, but it will most likely be resolved by then in in bookstores. I hope so. Oh, I'm so excited. I I love uh, walking through bookstores and just, you know, checking out all the books. So that'll be so neat to, you know, see it in stores, I'm sure. And, you know, see people with it in their hands. So that's so exciting. And, you know, it's obviously called thinking like a boss. So what is, what's one step we could do today to, you know, change our mindset, start thinking more like a boss, start just taking more control and authority over our own lives. Yeah. So I think one quick step would be take a look at your calendar, take a look at your schedule and cut three things out. And I do this every week. Sometimes I do it every day because I think we feel, we say like, I don't have enough time or I'll be more ready once these commitments are out of the way, but we fill our time with just space and 
unnecessary commitments at times. So like, what can you cut out that you're committed to? Like maybe it's like watching too much TV or um, engaging in just, you know, like gossiping conversations with people that you don't need to, or maybe it's like cutting some people out of your life that like aren't life-giving and you're just um, like, it's just not really a balanced relationship anymore. So it could be big things like that or um, finding little things to cut out, whether it's, um, you know, like prepping your meals ahead of time so that you have a little bit of extra time throughout your week, but find little ways that you can find more time so that you can no longer use that excuse of not having enough time to get your dreams started. I love that. And on the topic of time, you know, as a very busy entrepreneur, because you guys have a restaurant too, right? Yeah, we do have a breakfast lunch eatery. You're doing a ton. So how do you, besides cutting out those sometimes unnecessary add-in, fill-in time slots, is there any other tips, tricks you use to manage your time, schedule your time just to be more efficient. You know, I don't know if you do a, what is it like time blocking? I know there's a couple of different practices that people use. I'm just curious because you're, you're doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I wake up really early in the morning. So I usually wake up around five this morning. I actually slept until six twenty, which was glorious, but I usually wake up at five and get a head start before the babies are up in the morning. Um, I think Honestly, the way that we've been able to do a lot of those other things has been being really good with our money and sort of sacrificing um, like when our, a lot of a lot of our friends are like traveling and going out to dinner a lot, like we've just been really good at like saving our money and using that to invest in other things. Like we have income properties, we are um, co-owners of a fitness studio that just opened up too. So the, if we would have just done things because they felt good, we wouldn't have had the opportunities and been able to find the flexibility with money, with time to have those bigger opportunities that in the future will really help us and like be able to help us pay for our kids' college if they decide to go to college or you know, just live a little bit of an easier life. So I think one thing with like finding more time is just learning to make some sacrifices right now. I love that. Yeah. Like you said, you know, that even relates to the cutting of things from the calendar. You know, maybe it's, you know, sacrificing uh, a girl's night out every week to every other night, every other week, or uh, like you said, you know, choosing to meal prep and eat at home more than going out and that's saving time and money. So it's like yeah. a catch 22, but love that. And you're on social media. So is your Instagram handle, how, what's that? And then what's your blog too? Because yeah, people can find great information on both platforms. Thank you. So my Instagram is just my name, Kate Krako, and my uh, website and blog is just my name, katekrakow.com. Perfect. And then you have your podcast and your book. So I'm so excited for everyone to check out everything you're doing and just follow along and hopefully it helps them in their own journey in life. Thank you so much for having me today. This was such a fun conversation. 
My mind was absolutely spinning after this conversation. Just so much to think about and analyze and contemplate. I really hope you found this episode to be helpful. Perhaps you'll take some action because of it or just, I don't know, change your life in some way. Let's hope so. So let us know if it did resonate, if you are feeling some sort of change happening in your life because of it. We'd love to hear that. Kate is on Instagram at Kate Croco. I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive the Podcast. For more content from yours truly, moi, you can go on Facebook and search for Let's Thrive to be accepted into our private Facebook group. I'm working to build that day by day just to have another source of content for you all. And of course, Instagram, bees knees, lots of stuff going on there. So find me there as well. I appreciate you all so much and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.